Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Grumpy Old Reds. In this exclusive episode, we'll be showing you our interview with Craig Bromfield, the author of Be Good, Love Brian, a book talking about our beloved Brian Clough, the greatest manager of all time, how he ended up living with Brian, how he met him, how he spent time with the Clough family. We'll be talking about the heartache Craig goes through with the Clough family and some stories that will have your jaw dropping. You're gonna need a box of tissues because you will be crying and laughing as Craig gives us exclusive stories on what happened behind the scenes at Nottingham Forest in his time there. Sit back and enjoy it. This will be hosted by Forest Fan TV's very own Dino as he interviews him. This was released as a members only video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at Forest Fan TV. And we're going to give you access to it right now. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Dino and welcome to FFTV. And this is The High Press. So got a really important guest with us today. We've got an amazing podcast with a young ragamuffin uh, growing up in the Northeast. We go through some very tough times he had in his childhood. Uh, and when amazingly, in a billion to one chance, he befriended Brian Clough and the Forest team. What followed that is an extraordinary story. Um, I hate reading, but I've read his book and it literally brought me tears of laughter and tears of sadness. It's an incredible story. When I say it's a unique story, it really is. The book's called Be Good, Love Brian, and it made the Times Book of the Year shortlist, the Daily Mail Sports Book of the Year shortlist, uh, shortlist and was a finalist in the coveted William Hill Award. Members in the chat, welcome to Craig Bromfield. Hi, everyone. How are you doing, Craig? Okay. 
I'm all right. You know, I'm just looking at my face. Um, Brian used to have this thing when we when we were younger, where if Elizabeth had been naughty or the kids were angry, we used to send them upstairs and look at a picture of Bob Stokoe or throw darts at it. And I think if he was alive now, I think I'd be that picture. Yeah. That was scary. Um, for the people in the chat, this is a, a, a early access to the members uh, as a bit of a member perk. We're going to be doing more of these um, with various people from the, all the walks of life around Forest. Um, so get your questions in the chat. What Omai will do, there's no chat box at the top. What Omai will do is he'll get the um, questions pulled backstage and then you're sort of halfway through and then towards the end, we'll go through some members' questions. So who we got in? We've got Forest Dance as normal, David Marchant. Thank you. We've got your question from the uh, community page. Uh, Richard, walking boom, welcome. Simon F, as always, welcome. Uh, we've got Mark Gib Gilson in here. He's saying hi, Greg. He's giving you a bit of love, my friend. So um, can we start with your background and and for the for the people watching this it's really important that we listen to the background first because it's very pertinent to the whole story um so talk to me about when you were growing up as a youngster in the northeast and kind of you know what your living conditions were like what your family life was like how far back do we want to go Dino? right right um yeah probably when I mean, when your mom was married first time around and your dad and your relationship there and then, and then obviously from there really and and just, just your school life and what it was like being up there in terms of you 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 know your social life i suppose uh so i, I hardly had one uh, my mum and dad didn't help because they they bought me um i only had one pair of underpants and they were brown and cream wife fronts so they definitely didn't help you know you can imagine the stick i got for that so the the, the earliest memory i've got is maybe maybe just older than two um yeah. my mum and dad were married, but they were going through difficult times. And um, he ended up smashing a mirror over my mom's head. Uh, and I remember just being out in the street crying with the social services coming to get us. So the, the first memory I've got really is of being taken away from my mom, uh, putting a, a kid's home aged two. My older brother was six. My sister had been four. Um, she got taken away from us as well because we were in an all boys, um, all boys home. Uh, so for two years, I didn't get to see my sister. My mum had come and visit, but they, they basically decided between the two of the mum and dad that either they didn't want us or they couldn't handle us. So in a kid's home from two till round about four, then we had six months uh, back. Uh, then we were back in a kid's home again from like four and a half to six and a half, back in a kid's home from seven till nine. Um, lived well below the poverty line lived in like some of the roughest areas in, in Sunderland. Um, we lived in the uh, in the roughest area because we got evicted from the second roughest for not paying our bills. And then my mum made a decision to marry, um, uh, not the best decision as it turns out, but made a decision to marry a Jamaican Geordie drug dealer. Uh, okay. Which, Is what you think? <laughs> yeah, as you do. I think she, she made him... He was he was um he was on it's a knockout. I don't know if you remember it's a knockout. You yeah, know I do, yeah. yeah. Um, and he always used to tell us about it when we were going up, and we thought, bloody hell, that's like really cool. Found out later on it was only the heats. He didn't make it to the actual television. He was on the radio or something. So um, he was like a proper, you know, larger than life character, muscle bound, um, curly jet black hair, obviously, you know, dark skin, black. 
Uh, and the racism up at that uh, up in Sunderland at that point was was really really bad. Um, yeah, he brought with him um, one lad, one one kid from his previous marriage, um, who ended up obviously being our stepbrother Aaron, and he was mixed race. Um, and that just led to like you know five, six, seven years of absolute just abuse, bullying. Uh, I'd get like beaten up pretty much every day going to school just because my brother was was you know mixed race and my dad was black. Uh, and even some of the teachers at school, it got to this stage where I just didn't want to go to school anymore because one of the teachers would make a smart ass comment. So for a really intelligent kid, it was it was difficult because I'd say I probably spent no exaggeration, 60-70%. Once I got past the first year of comp, 67-70% of my time I didn't go to school. Right. Um, Mum and dad would keep me off to go and do messages, to pick up drugs from my dad, to go shoplifting or to, you know, do whatever we could to, to, to raise money. So why were you getting beaten at school then? Is it because of your stepdad and what was the main main reason? You mean for, for being bullied or for being kept yeah, off? Yeah, for being bullied, yeah. You said you said he got sort of, you know, beaten up most days. Yeah, literally. You know, I'd be walking up the street. I probably didn't help myself because Aaron used to get into a lot of fights, but he wasn't a fighter. So mm. people would pick on him and I was like the skinniest little kid going. But as soon as I saw somebody picking on our Aaron, I was in there. And what usually happened, you know, was he buggered off and ran away and left me to take a kick in. Yeah, so I've actually least, been there when my friends just disappeared. Yeah, it's weird, you know. It's I mean, the old like I mean. best fighter step forward and everybody steps back kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he, he got me into a lot of scrapes, and it, everything was basically down to predominantly like the 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 racist side of things, colour. But also, you know, we weren't scruffy. We were we were I think we were cleanish, but we didn't have any gear. You know, our yeah. clothes were a mess. I had one pair of trousers, one shirt that I had to wear to school and outside, one pair of shoes. My dad used to cut my hair. So for like six months, my hair would be, you know, out there. So kids would just take the piss, as kids do. Um, and Southwick was an area for that. You know, you had to learn very, very early doors to, to stand on your own two feet. And unfortunately, I wasn't very good at it. Right. So how far did the racism go? I mean, you know, other than the... You know, you talked about in your book. You talked about the N word and you know getting that sort of abuse. How how did that sort of how did that come into your everyday life? And how bad did it get at home? I mean, it got it got really bad. Uh, we had our house. There was there was riots in Southwick. I think a group of kids hijacked the bus and set fire to some bins, and you know took the money off the bus driver, and then everything just kicked off, and there was a massive riot. Uh, and we got our we got our house petrol bombed, um, which wasn't a nice experience. We'd gone away to Annick Castle for the day, which for us was like you know the best holiday we could ever ever really expect. Uh, and when we came back, our house had been broken into. Um, there was National Front logos daubed all over the wall in human shit. Everything that we owned had been slashed. Windows had been broken. And go back home and things like that. Um, and then one other instance that, uh, that, you know, sticks in my mind a lot was my dad was a fighter. He was a real hard man, but people used to come and challenge him. And I'm talking literally walk up to the front door and we'd see my dad fighting in the front garden. And this one Friday night, he'd been in a little bit of bother in town and somebody knocked on the door about 11 o'clock. My sister answered. 
And this lad just took a baseball bat to my sister's leg and broke her leg. Again, just because she was the daughter of the, you know, of the N. Mm. So re- really tough, psychologically really difficult, because you don't understand as a kid, you know. So you must have been quite a loner then. I think there was probably, you and Aaron were quite close, weren't you? Or, or you know, quite close. And did you make, did you have any other friends at school that you could like play football in the street with or? Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really develop into football until quite late. I wasn't very good at football when I was a kid. I was very good as a runner. Uh, and that came from like the <laughs> previous <practice>. reasons. <laughs> hey, I used to like, I just, I'd run to the shops and I'd be hurdling over walls for no reason, just like to practice, just in case I need to, a quick getaway. So I, yeah. I, I, I kind of developed into football once I'd met, you know, further down the further down the line. But I had a group of mates. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't a loner as such. I had a group of mates who tried to protect me, but it, it's it's like, you know, four or five of them. Um, good lads, really, really nice lads who never saw the race as an issue. Uh, but there weren't many. It was like a really close-knit group. So how did you, you, you obviously lived under a certain amount of poverty. How did you sort of make money when you were young? Jesus Christ, however we could. I mean, that that's like another thing, you know. Aside from the homes, we ended up in, in bad wives' hostels a lot because my dad would, would drink as well as uh, selling cannabis. He, would, he, he was a, a massive drunk. Uh, and we used to have to do whatever we could to get him money to the extent that my mum would send us to my nana's to steal you know, wait till Nana goes to sleep or wait till Grandad goes to sleep. If they won't lend you the money, you know where she keeps her purse. Wait till she goes asleep and nick a couple of quid or a fiver. And what that also led to is when we went back with nothing, it was fucking horrible because we were blamed. You know, we'd be in a we'd be in a bad wife's hostel and the other three three kids, and sometimes I would do it as well. The other three kids, so my, my two brothers or my sister would be blaming the one who didn't get the money, saying it's yeah. your fault we're here. All you had to do was steal a fiver off Nana. So like the, the the physical and psychological abuse we took from the age of seven to, you know, 15, 14, 15, that was just horrible. The pressure we were under as kids to get money was was immense. We used to do anything we could. We'd, we'd wash people's cars. We'd tidy people's gardens. There was a thing where we'd stand outside of pubs and watch people's cars. Like watch your cars for ten pence, Mister. They'd go into the pub for two hours. We'd bugger off and have a game of footy in the car park, and then when they came back out, we'd say we'd watched your car, give us ten pence. So we'd do anything we could. Our Darren was a really intelligent lad, very very entrepreneurial for his age, and he was like, he just used to come up with with schemes all the time to help us make money. But it was done purely to save my mum from getting a beating from my dad. You know, we never saw any of it. We didn't get pocket money. We didn't have any treats or anything like that. It was done purely to get him money to go out drinking because if we could get him a couple of quid, we knew man was safe. So you obviously didn't have much, at the time you didn't feel you had much prospect in life going forward. And then obviously your life changed. How, what was that? What was that catalyst of change? What happened? Uh, well, that Darren discovered uh, or came up with a thing, Penny for the Guy, which your older viewers all, all know and remember, younger ones not so much, but it's where you dress a, a, a doll up in, in clothes, stuff it with newspaper, stand outside shops or pubs and ask people for money. Um, and we've, we've done that for like a couple of years already. And then this one year, our Darren, we just walked down the pubs the length of Sunderland 
and see which one was the best. And then we just happened upon the Seaburn Hotel, which was on the seafront, which was the poshest hotel in, in Sunderland at the time. Um, and we were doing Penny for the guy there. Uh, and like just a massive, massive stroke of luck because we weren't even supposed to go that night, Dino. We were supposed to go the Saturday, but because it was Friday and it was payday, Aaron said, look, let's just try it, see what it's like. And we went down on the Friday night and the, the Forest team were, were staying at the, the Seaburn Hotel on the seafront. Who are they? Were they playing Newcastle or Sunderland? Yeah, Newcastle up at St James's. Yeah. So how did you how did you meet them? Uh, what, what happened? Just, Who did you I, meet I, first? Was it did you meet Brian Clough first, or was it another no, member of the team? No, it, uh, and it wasn't even you know I'll talk about Kenny Swain who had a massive impact, but uh, I'd just got my my I'm going to say my head kicked in, but it probably wasn't as bad as that. I used to have some bother with a racist skinhead. He would come and either take our money or, or you know, boot the guy all over. Um, and he'd just been along like five, ten minutes before, kicked me in the stomach, kicked the guy everywhere. And a couple of blokes had come out from the Indian restaurant behind to chase him away. And as that was happening, four forest players were walking along. They obviously saw what was going on, came up, asked us if we were okay, asked us what we were doing. Gave us like a 150 or something like that, which was a, which was a fortune. Uh, and said, look, you know, don't stay out too late because you'll be bothered by the drunks. So I think the first group, it would have been Chrissy Fairclough was definitely in it. Bryn Gunn was there. Peter Davenport. Yeah, some some unreal names, you know, for that era from like 84 to 87, before he built the second team. There were some unbelievable legends there. Um, Did you know there were Forest players at the time? I had no clue. Literally no idea. I, I honestly thought it was the Sunderland basketball team. And I don't know why, but it was like the only thing I could think of. Yeah. You know, the only team I could I could think of. I had no real interest in football. And now Aaron, Aaron turned around and said to me, look, they've got some kind of cauliflower on the uh, on the, the, the top. It's not the same. You know what I mean? And it, it turned out yeah. it was a tree. Oh, my God. I hope there's no Derby fans watching this because they're going to start with the cauliflower jokes now. So, okay, so, that, I mean, they essentially save you and give you a bit of money, and that was quite a nice moment for you. But but then, did did, did, did was there any further meeting with them, or yeah, did, God, did, you, did yeah. you stalk I mean, them, it, or...? It just, it, just... It, gets, it, it gets better and better. We decided at that point, we'd, we only had one guy between us, Dino. So Aaron was at the back of the hotel asking people for money, and he didn't even have a guy. I was at the front <laughs> asking people for money, and Aaron, if somebody said, well, you haven't got a guy... He had to send them around to me. So anyway, after the skinhead came, we decided it's going to be safer if we both get off the main road and go around the back. Um, and we're standing outside the back of the hotel for literally like five minutes. Uh, and a player walks around the corner on his own. So obviously we ask him for a penny for the guy. He does the old tap in his pocket saying he's got no change, which loads of people used to do. I thought it was like taking the piece. Um, and I'm like, listen, mister, it's okay. We take American Express MasterCard. He started chuckling. Um, and then I said, look, Mr. My mate thinks, he, uh, my, my brother thinks he's the Sunderland basketball team and he's got no son. We're, we're not in the forest. We play football. We're playing Newcastle tomorrow. Um, and obviously I said, look, you know, I hate Newcastle. And he's like, well, so do I. Uh, and then I asked him if we could have the, the autographs. Um, he came back down. First of all, he came back down and gave us a fiver, Dino. Wow. You know, that, 10 minutes after really... you said, I'll be back down in a minute. 
And in those days, the fire was huge. So at that point, I said to him, listen, do you mind if we get the autographs? And he said, yeah, sure. Went back in, came back out about five minutes later and said, listen, son, most of the players have gone to bed. There's some of the autographs there. If you want the rest, come back tomorrow. Um, again, probably hoping and praying they'd never see us again. Uh, uh, who was in that squad, Johnny Method? No, that was Kenny Swain. Yeah, Kenny. Sorry, was who was who was in bed then? Who was in bed and who was up? Well, I, I've I've no idea. I couldn't read the autographs, so I didn't know who they had and who they didn't have. No, um, and, and I don't know who was in bed, but I mean, who was in the squad? Um, Sutton had been in goal. Bryn Gunn, right back. Swainy left back. Centre halves had been Fairclough and Medgard. Midfield, Hodge. Uh, Trevor Christie, I think, Steve wow. Wigley, um, up front, Davenport. I don't think Bertles was there at the time. I think Bertles had gone, but yeah. that kind of group. <laughs> it's amazing. So, um, when did you first meet Brian Clough then? Because obviously you've been a little bit exposed to the Forest team now. I, I mean, how how does a couple of ragamuffins from the northeast? Me that then sort of get into the forest family, if you like, on a regular basis. How does that even work? So Swayne had told us to be there for 10 o'clock in the morning and we were on the beach for half seven waiting for them. Um, and I think about half eight, half nine, we just, uh, Aaron went swimming, which is absolutely nuts because it's October. Aaron went swimming and I used to go northeast. Yeah, bloody hell, you know, absolutely <laughs> mental. Just literally everything off down to his pants and, and in. Um, and I used to practice. At, at that point, I was an absolute, in my head, I was a certainty to do the 800 double up at the Olympics. So I was practicing running along the beach with chariots of fire going in my head. Um, and I just see how Aaron waving at the top of the steps and he, he, he shouts me back and I'm hoping he's found something. And I just, I walk up to him, I say, look, what's up? And he says, look at that man, that man like walking there. And I'm like, right. And he's gone, that's Brian Clough. And I'm like, who? And he said, it's Brian Clough. He's like this really, really famous football manager. He's on the telly every week. He's in the newspapers. He's like really, really famous. Go and say hello to him. But he shouts a lot. And I'm like, bloody hell, okay, fair enough. So I was like, what was I? I was 11. And I just walked up to him like, you know, nice as nine pence. Good morning, Mr. Clough. Can you tell me if Kenny Swain's up yet? And he absolutely loved the fact I called him Mr. Clough. Mr. Yeah, yeah, he was imagine. just blown away by it. He's like, you know, he had this thing where he would always go, wee, he'd say, wee, son, Mr. Clough, Mr. Clough, did your man tell you to call me Mr. Clough? And I turned around and said, yeah, until I get to know you better, I've got to call you Mr. Clough. And he's like, hey, you cheeky little sod, get to know me better, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, why do you want Kenny? And I explained the story from the night before, and he's like looking us up and down. Obviously, we're, you know, scruffy by his standards. Uh, and he's like, look, you look freezing. Where's your coat? Does your mum know you're here? And you look like you haven't had a, a, a decent meal for like for months. I'll tell you what, come with me. I'll get you some breakfast. You can get the players autographs. Everybody will be happy. And then you can uh, you can bugger off back home. And he took us into the hotel to have breakfast with the, uh, with the players. And Kenny Swain's like, when we walked in, Kenny Swain's face has just dropped. Obviously, he's like, Holy shit, Gaffer, what have I done here? You know, two kids 
Uh, and the bloke, at, the bloke at the hotel used to chase us, Dino. Because, you know, like, we'd bother his customers, so he used to chase us. So when he's seen us walking yeah. through the revolving doors, he's like, yeah. oh, you two, self out, get out. What have I told you about coming in here? And Brian turned around and said to him, listen, young man, don't talk to kids like that. He said, they're with me, they're coming with me. We're taking them upstairs for about an hour. They're going to have some breakfast and then they'll leave. Now, have a good day. Um, and we just sat with them for, for like, you know, probably 45 minutes just having like weird conversations that me and Aaron were like funny, but we didn't know we were funny. Like yeah. uh, the we asked them where they were from and they said it's Nottingham, which is in the Midlands. And our Aaron said, what's the beach like in the Midlands? And they all pissed themselves laughing. And I'm thinking, well, why are they laughing? Obviously now you know Midlands yeah. is middle of the land. Yeah, um, Skegness, the closest beach to the Midlands. Yeah, exactly. Taking the mickey out of our accents, telling us they'd climb a mountain for a canny bag of chuda, which is hard for it, asking if we drank Nuki Brown. Uh, yeah. And then after about 45, 45 minutes, an hour after we got like, you know, marmalade, toast, cornflakes and everything, uh, Kenny Swain came up to us and said, listen, the gaffer thinks you relax the players. Uh, he wants to know if you want to come to the game with us today. We'll take you on the team bus. We'll get your tickets. You can watch the game. You're going to have to come back on your own. But if that's all right with you, you know, you, you can come to the game with us. And we're like, yeah, of course, we, we'd love to. And he's like, well, you know, you need to ask your mum and dad. And I'm like, well, we haven't got a phone. And he's like, well, you've got to ask your mum and dad. We can't just take you. So me and Aaron ended up running a mile and a half back up to Southwick, asking my mum and dad, who really thought we were like proper taking the mickey, because we needed 10 pence for our bus fare. And they thought we were just trying to get 10 pence off them to go out and, and spend it on sweets. And my dad's like, are you taking the piss? You're trying to tell me that a football team that you only met last night and this morning and now wanted to take it. And we're like, dad, honest, like honest, that's exactly what's happening. So we've ended up, you know, running a mile and a half back down, got on the team bus, got to St. James's Park. Uh, Kenny's given us another fiver for Bovril and crisps and stuff like that. Uh, and we've gone into, into St. James's Park to watch the game. Uh, it was freezing. And like I say, we didn't have cold. So we ended up le leaving after like 70 minutes. I think it was 1-1. I think uh, Davenport got the got the, the forest goal. Um, and I felt really guilty because I hadn't said, like, stop to say thank you or even see you later. Um, so it was just like playing on my mind. So I wrote them a letter the next day when I got back, just saying, listen, you know, thank you very much for uh, an unbelievable day. It was brilliant. Really enjoyed meeting you and the lads. Good luck, Craig. Um, not sure what would happen after that, you know, not really expecting anything. And about four or five days later, there's a letter popped back through the the uh, the front door. Our postman's Bob. Uh, we know him really well. And he's like running up to us saying, lads, 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 I've got something for you. <laughs> and it's a big brown envelope with a forest crest on the front. And Brian had sent us a letter saying, lads, you know, it was it was great to meet you. You did your man proud. Tell us you can be really proud of you. Make sure you're sticking at school. And next time we're up in the, in the northeast, come and say hello to us again um, and be good which is how he always used to sign his autographs, be good, love, Brian. Yeah. Uh, and again, probably not expecting to see us for a while because um, Newcastle and Newcastle were in the first division, but Sunderland were in the second. And obviously once they played Newcastle, that was it for another season. 
and then by a massive stroke of luck, they drew Sunderland in the, um, I don't know what it was at the time, it wasn't the Rumblows or the Littlewoods, it was the League Cup, and they drew Sunderland up at Roker Park, like December the 30th or something like that, so, you know, within within three or four weeks of seeing them, we were going to go and see him again, and that's how it, it really started from there. I mean, because I don't know, the younger members of the chat probably don't know that Brian Clough was a phenomenal player. You know, he's got like, he got to like 251 goals, didn't he, in 270 odd games and fastest player in history to get 250 goals and things like that. I don't think people don't realise. His injury, he cut short. It was, um, career was cut short, wasn't it? Through injury. But do you while think he's. While he was at Sunderland, do you know? Yeah. So that was like a, another thing, you know, that was, I think one of the reasons he, he he took a shine to us was he loved Sunderland and he loved Sunderland people. I mean, I've talked about this before. He was, he was unbelievable up here for Middlesbrough and Sunderland. You know, the season he got, uh, he got injured. He'd already scored 26 goals before Christmas and then he got injured on Boxing Day. Um, and I mean, that pretty much finished him, but he, he never forgot the care and the love that Sunderland people showed him while he was going through his rehabilitation because he was out for a long time. But every time he was out training, people would be going up and, you know, wishing him all the best and telling him to miss him and telling him that the hope he gets back really quickly. So he just had this massive, massive thing for Sunderland and Sunderland people. He loved the place. So you, um, so after, so obviously there's some stalking, Missions going on from yourself every time that they played in the northeast. Did you ever come to Nottingham area at any point? Like and actually, much, and actually much, spend yeah. spend time with the players there. Players much much, much later down. So I mean, not much later actually, because everything happened really quickly. But we we've been to probably four or five games up in the northeast already, you know. And, and they weren't always like. I don't know if they always expected us to turn up, but they're always really happy to see us when we were there. It's like bloody hell, you know, you two again, we can't get rid of you. Um, but the the October, I think October 85, they were playing Newcastle again at St. James's. And I think it's the League Cup. Um, and I think we beat them. We either beat them 3-1 or 3-0. Uh, and we've, again, rocked up at, at St. James's Park. But Sweeney's been transferred to Portsmouth the summer before. Mm. So we literally didn't know if we should go because obviously it's we're it was spending your first time contact, wasn't he? Well, Sweeney used to babysit us, you know. Yeah. We spent time with Brian and the other players, but it's actually Kenny we go to see more than Brian. So we weren't sure whether we should go at all once Kenny's gone, and we decided like last minute that we were going to go. Um, and when we got on the the team bus outside of St James's, Brian's like, "You do know Kenny's gone, don't you?" And I'm like, yeah, but I've come to say hello to you. And he's like, all right, fair enough. Get down the back of the bus, get some soup, keep quiet, get your head down. Um, and that was the first time they actually took us into the dressing room. Before that, we'd been like, you know, going to games, but just meeting them beforehand, having a bite to eat, going to games, saying see you later after. But we'd never been in the in the dressing room until until is this, that. Is night. this both you and Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, me and Aaron. Always yeah. me and Aaron at this point. Right, all the until, time. Yeah. Up until like 15, 16. Um, so we we beat Newcastle 3-0. Brian's like, before the game, he's given us like a list of things that we need to do. It's like, sit down, shut up, keep your head down. If the players, he said he's only got one rule in his dressing room. 
I've only got one rule in my dressing room, lads. And I'm like, right, okay. And then he went on to list like seven bloody rules. And I'm sitting there thinking, holy shit, how am I supposed to remember all this? He meant one chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the game, we're just like, you know, tidying things away, helping the players get a drink and stuff like that. And um, Brian's uh, asked us, uh, how we're getting home and we're like we're getting the train he's like I'm not having you getting the train on your own this time of night uh, you can come and stay with us we're like holy you know everything just got like got massive I mean we only had the clothes on we didn't know we were going anywhere and he's like you can come and stay with us and he turned to Ronnie Fenton he's gone Ronnie they can stay with you for a couple of days you'll be alright with that and Ronnie Fenton's face has just gone white so I'm thinking Ronnie doesn't fancy this <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Mm. Proper, proper stitched me up there. Uh, and then he's ended up getting Jim McAnally, um, Scottish fullback, yeah. to, to ring our neighbours and to ask my mum's permission that we go down to down to Nottingham for a few days. Um, and he's like, all right, just tell her, you know, they're coming down for a few days. We'll look after them. And he's like, hey, son, tell her not to worry. It's Brian Clough who's asking. So Jim McAnally's like made the phone call. He's like, what the hell do I say to your mum? Your mum's never going to go for this. And of course, as soon as my mum heard it was Brian Clough who was invited, but she's like, fine, yeah, get yourselves away. I had no idea how long we're going down for, really where we were going, when we're coming back or anything, but she's like, yeah, get yourselves away, lads, don't worry about it. Um, and then we're, we're like sitting there down the back and about halfway down, Brian's decided that we're going to go and stay with him. We're not going to, we're not staying with Ronnie because Ronnie doesn't fancy it. So we're going to go and stay with him at his place in Quandon. Um, and we got dropped off at the San Diego, the San Diego Post House, as it was then, just off, yeah. just off the M1. Um, driven up to his house, he's got us to to get out outside because he wants to explain more rules to us um, about like what it's like to live under his house. And that was basically the crux of that was to to say we could call him anything we want, you know, Big Ed, Shit House, Brian, anything, um, but. If we ever call Mrs. Clough anything other than Mrs. Clough, he's going to knock our two big heads together and get us to walk back. Really? You so still call her Mrs. Clough now, don't you, today? I do. I've never been. Even when she said to me, and obviously I'm living there, and she's like, listen, so it's about time you start calling me Barbara. And I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's more than my life's worth, not a chance. So, yeah, I still call him Mr. Clough today. He's certainly an enigma, isn't he, or was, um, Brian Clough, because he, he you know, he come off, he come across as quite arrogant on the TV in his interviews and old Big Ed and, you know, I'm number one and I'm the, and he had a lot of run-ins with people. But I think behind closed doors, was he a bit more of a, he seemed to have a nice culture and a, a nice ethos. And is he, was he a family man, a proper family man? And did he have good values? Yeah. And I mean, all of them did, you know, they, they were brought up. Mrs. Clough has a lot to do with that. I think Mrs. Clough was like, you know, an, just an incredible woman with really, like you say, strong values, principles, morals. Um, but she was also just like, you know, really lovely and really generous with everything that she had, giving people time, stopping to have chats with them. Um, and, and Brian was exactly the same, you know. I don't know how many people know how generous he was, but I bet there's thousands of stories of things that he's done for people in Nottingham and Derby. You know, we used to go to Quandon stores and Quandon's a really posh place and there's a, a, a bloke behind there, Brian had a tab um, where he'd just go in and get what he wanted and he'd, he'd square up later. And the, the number of times that he walked in there 
and there's like an old woman doing her shopping and he's like, Pat, just put that on my tab. You know, and that's that's Quandon where people are pretty wealthy. I don't think she was worried about where her next loaf was coming from, but he just used to be really, really generous with everybody he bumped into. Just really, really nice-hearted. He could yeah. be arrogant, you know? Yeah, he could yeah. Be arrogant. I mean, he's, he had that, like, that switch, you know, where if you... If you did something you didn't agree with or you got on the wrong side of him, he could absolutely floor you with a with a, a verbal, you know, not a lashing because he never really lashed me, but he, he'd just be like really sarcastic or really funnily clever. So he definitely still had that confident, arrogant side, but it was yeah. nowhere near how it was portrayed. How do, you, how do you think he demanded so much respect from the players then? Because everybody would die for him, wouldn't they, on the playing team and the playing staff? Yeah, I was. It's weird. I was talking to my mate, who's a massive Forest fan, even though he's from Sunderland. Um, a lad called Lee, and he was saying, you know, a lot of it is down to the fact he was successful. He thinks that if Brian had got to like semi-finals and quarter-finals and stuff like that, and hadn't won anything, the same players who now idolise him and, and won't say a word against him would probably be coming out and saying, Jesus Christ, what a shit. Because he, he also had that with the players, you know. I think he knew who to who to knock down and he knew who to build up, but also he cared about them as people. I mean, even outside of football, you know, he knew about the family, he knew about the problems, the issues, and he would do anything that he could to, to, to help them. And he was unbelievably loyal to people who were loyal to him. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, guys, uh, just have a quick short break there. The, the big good love Brian. Um, Omar's going to drop a link into the description for you. He's going to pin a link in there. Honestly, it's an incredible, I hate reading, like I said before, it's an incredible read. It's an emotional roller coaster, Craig, to be honest. I've never had a book hook me that way. And it is a, it's literally a one in a trillion story, isn't it? Thank um, you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, thank you for letting me read it. It was brilliant. What about, um, what, so you, you kind of strangely randomly met Kenny Swain after you were getting a kick in and eventually you just got closer and closer to the, the club family and, and the, the club. How close did you actually get with the club first? And then we'll talk about um, the club family. Well, the, the, the club was really intense. You know, we haven't talked yet about, about when I moved down with them, but let, let's yeah. talk about just before that. So yeah. Before that, it was like it was on the periphery, but it was still in the in on the the first team bus, traveling to games with him. It was staying in the hotel overnight with him. Uh, it was being in the dressing room, you know, White Hart Lane, Goodison Anfield, uh, Old Trafford, just some unbelievable experiences from that side. But of course, it got a lot lot closer to everybody, not just the players, but the the, the club and the the family. I mean, the club, it's like it's. It's a weird one, you know. I used to waltz in like I owned the place. Literally. I'd go <laughs> in. Wage. Brian would be Brian would be like training and I'd be walking in. I'd be knocking on the, the chairman's door. Morning, Mr. Chairman. Knocking on Ken Smiles or Paul White's Ken door. Smiles, yeah. How old were you then, Craig, when you were doing uh, that? Going into the, the, the weights room and stuff like that. I had a really great relationship with the Jubilee Club, a guy called Ron Williams. Yeah. So I'd be in and out of there getting food and trying to nick a beer. Um, and I would literally like just, you know, it was like I was one of them. I'd just walk in, say hello to the cleaning ladies, walk through the back of the old 
Trent end, yeah. the, the bit before the Trent end, oh, where you go through where the, the boiler room and everything yeah. is. Yeah. Walk through there, say hello to all the coaches and the, the physio, and then walk out the back and, and go training with the players and try and get as involved as, a, as I could from that side. So you played so, with the players in the training? I, I'd say I bothered them. I'd say I bothered them. I'd Were you only good at football at that point? You I got, got a lot, a lot yeah, I got a lot, lot better. There's, there's like, right. you know, there's three. Who was the catalyst of you getting better? Did somebody, did one of the team or two, a couple of the team, spend any time with you on the training pitch or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I went training with AC Hunters, so obviously Simon's side. Went yeah. training with them regularly, and Nigel took training. But there's like, there's, there's two reasons. One is Nigel, because he taught me how to, to play. He had this thing where, if you remember when he played his first touch was usually a pass. Yeah. The ball had come into him and he'd just angle his foot and turn it around the corner and it'd take three or four yeah. players out. Yeah. Um, so he taught me how to do that, you know, either foot. The ball had come into me and I'd just lay it off. Um, but then also Scott, Scott Gemmell really took me under his wing. Nigel and Scott were good mates at that point. Uh, Scott still lived in Alistair with his dad um, and Scott was football mad. I mean, literally every second of the day, he'd be he'd be wanting to to, to play or practice. So me and him used to go in and just kick a ball about, and we um we ended up doing crossbar challenge. Yeah. One one side of the goal, one the other side of the goal. If you hit the crossbar, the ball typically came back to you, and you'd get another go at it. If you missed, it went over the bar and or and under the, the bar, and yeah. it's the next yeah. person's turn. So we'd yeah. be doing that, and it got to the stage where I could beat Scott first to 10 and that really pissed him off he smashed me at everything else but I could beat him hitting the crossbar from anywhere on the pitch thing on and really? I've made a, I've made a joke about this and it's like I still chuckle about it now I've gone on to play 14 or 15 seasons sometimes to a decent standard yeah. um, sometimes just you know decent standard Sunday league um, yeah. but I've only ever scored six goals from open play I used to ping a free kick in every now and then but from open play only yeah. six goals but I hit the bar 1,450 times. And I'm like, if it wasn't for Scott teaching me how to hit the bar, I'd have had a better scoring record than Pelle. Could have been a t- he could have made it professional, man. Oh, I'd have been like, um, there'd still be, there'd be like posters of me all over the world. Oh my God, Scott Gemmell. I also saw his dad play as well. That's how old I am, Archie. His oh dad God. was like, it's, it's difficult because I really liked his dad and I respected him, but Jesus Christ, he could be a nasty bugger. Yeah, really. I mean, he was he was the one out of them all who could really, you know, and, and just for no reason, his, his face would just go and he'd snarl and boom, he'd just lay into you. So I never really knew how to um, how to gauge Archie. And I, I never really worked out whether he liked me or he, he saw me as a bit of a little shit. <laughs> he always had that face though, didn't he? Just he did like he didn't like anybody. I, I think it's like, hang on a second. Scottish. I, should, I was going to say, I should ask if there's any Scottish fans in before I say this. Yeah, no, it's I too late. It's like, out there. You know, there's an aggressive nature, especially from that era. Obviously, he's not massive. He's small. And he had that really, like, you know, chip on his shoulder, um, but turned it into a massive positive. I mean, what a player. Yeah. So okay, so you're training with you're training with the team randomly from this meeting, uh, you know, when you were a boy. What, what about match days? Did you get more free tickets, or did you were you still within the inner sanctum of the city ground? 
I didn't really I didn't really need three tickets. You know, that that didn't start until like 92, 93 when I started going to games with my mates more than um more than the team or more than Simon. A lot of games I went with Simon. Um and Simon's like a I'm gonna say it now, he's he's chief scout at Mansfield. Back yeah. then he was a brilliant judge of a player. So he's like yeah, just for the out, chat, Simon Simon is um one of Brian's sons. Simon's Brian's eldest. Brian's yeah. eldest son. So the Simon Nigel and Elizabeth. Nigel Elizabeth, yeah. Um but for like for two seasons, uh home games, like I say, I own the place. You know, I'm I'm waltzing in like like just maybe like the, the cat that's got the crane. Away games, I'd I'd either go down on the, the day before if they if they travelled on the day before and stay in the hotel with them, or I'd travel down on the same day, but it would always be on the first team coach, always be in the dressing room, always be on the pitch. There's like three or four YouTube videos that it's a shame I've never really linked them. Um, but there's like there's pictures of me what remember you know the, the League Cup where we've done Spurs two one and Keeney's got the bullet. Got the yeah. bullet header. Yeah. Elton Wellsby's done like match of the day live or whatever it is. And in the build up to the game you see me, Roy Keane and another player walking onto the pitch and, and walking back off the pitch. And of course, because of like how close I was, but also because of the things Nigel gave me and sometimes one of the other players gave me, I'm in kit. I'm in like, you know, first team track suit. Even the apprentices didn't get a first team track suit. If you remember, the first team track suit used to have the umbra on the back. Yeah, yeah. Badge, and the, yeah. the others didn't. So the others were like just, you know, like you could buy in the shop. You're the elite. And I'd be walking around not in a first team tracksuit when I was like 16, 17, giving it absolute big leaks, telling everybody I was going to be the next big thing. So when you're kicking around in the dressing room on match days and like the dugout and things like that, what do the other opposing managers think of you? I don't know about... think We've not scouted this guy. Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> think I'm some kind of secret weapon who's come on for the last 20 yeah. minutes. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It got to a stage where, for me, it was pretty weird because, like, underneath everything, I was I was a massive, massive fan. I mean, I loved the players, I loved the game, but I was I was just a fan. I wasn't one of the players who was like removed from it because they're playing. But I wasn't allowed to be a fan because when you you're sitting in the dugout, you know, and you you score, you can't go nuts celebrating. It just it didn't happen back then. And there were literally times where I've, I've said before, when we scored at Anfield, I wanted to get out, run along the, the track and start flicking Kenny Dalglish to V's. Yeah, you Scottish bastards. Have that. Um, and Brian used to, he used to have to get me to calm down. Yeah. He'd like say to me, son, you know, just if we scored or something, I'd be going nuts in the back corner. And he ended up like saying to me, Jesus Christ, would you just like shut up, calm down? I've got a job to do here. And, and I've said this before. I don't know, like, I would imagine John Sumter, who's the ex-club uh, photographer, he'll probably have a lot of a lot of photographs. So for the first, like, 12 or 15 games, I'm sitting next to Brian. If you remember when he took Nigel and Simon to games when he was at Brighton and there's that clip of them all sitting in the dugout, first 15 games, I'm sitting next to him. And then he twigged them, which I talked during the game, and he kept moving me, like, one further away and one further away. And by the end of it, I'm stuck in the corner with, like, Oh, as far away as the furthest away from Cooper now. I'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> but you were the talkative one that they have to move down down the bench. Just, just unreal. I mean, 
you know, you can imagine for a normal kid from the background that I had to get into yeah. dressing rooms at, like I say, you know, every club up and down the up and down the land, to be on the pitch with the players as they walk out. I'd occasionally go out during warm-up, but very, very rarely. Normally, I'd just like sit down and, and let the, the, the players have a warm-up and I'd be back in the dressing room. Um, but half-time team talks, full-time team talks, things like that, you know, to, to sit and watch those. And that was the point where I was quiet because it's not, you know, it's not my place to say anything. And some of the things, like just quiet little things that are not... People always ask why he was a, why he was such a genius. It's just a sentence, mm. and it's like a common sense sentence. But it's the way he says it. It's who he says it to, and then it's the the effect on the on the, the player themselves. Um, I remember being away at QPR, and Gary Parker's playing. Um, I think he's playing central midfield for us rather than the right hand side. And the, the England squad's about to be announced and they're, they're talking about recalling Ray Wilkins. And Brian's like, you know, all respect to Ray Wilkins was a great player, but he's called the crab for a reason. He just literally used to get the ball and give it, you know, left or right and and blah, 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 blah. And Brian's just turned around to Parks before the game. He said, I'll tell you what, Parks, all this talk about bringing Ray Wilkins back, he said, son, I'd have you every day of the week and twice on Sunday ahead of him in that squad. Now go out and show me why. And you literally saw Gary Parker's... Parks had a big chest anyway, as well yeah. as a big nose. I mean, he was like, you know, the way he could run. Um, but you literally saw his chest just fill out and he grew He yeah. grew an inch. And I saw that like six, seven, eight players where he would say something to them and they would just like, you know, they would just lift. And we're not talking about superstars here, Dino. I mean, yeah. you look at the, the, the signings he made, you know, what was it? Webby cost us 400 grand. PSE 375. Ian Butterworth Muck was more expensive than, than PSE. Lawsy 275. Tommy Gaynor 25 grand. Yeah, Ricey 175 grand, you know? Yeah. Parks, I think, was 400 grand. So up until the point where he signed that season, where he signed Sheringham, Kingsley Black, and Carl Tyler, I think his most expensive signing was 400 grand. Chapman. He's got a track record. He's had a track record for it, though, didn't he? Even back to the cup, you know, the European Cup winning and the, the league winning side. You know, cobbling it, just, cobbling it, just it. like cobbling it just a, like a bunch of that. random people just pulled together. Yeah. You know, your Larry Lloyd, your Kenny Burns, your Gary Burtles. Was yeah. it Rob? Correct. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong about that uh, chat. Um, yeah, I mean, he's an incredible, incredible motivator, and he's, he's he obviously got a lot out of the team. I want to take a few uh, questions now. There's one that's popped up here. Oh, Mikey, prepare some questions for me, please. I've, I'm just going to drop David Marchant. Um, thanks, David, for the question. Uh, what was Cluffy's go-to breakfast item? I hope it wasn't a bowl of shredded wheat. It wasn't shredded wheat. It, breakfast. it was bacon sarnies. He used to make bacon the most sarnies. unbelievably delicious bacon sandwiches ever. He did, or Mrs. Cluffy? He did. No, he loved being he in the did. kitchen. He was brilliant. He'd like, uh, it was also his way of relaxing. You know, Sunday, if we didn't go out to the Xingdu, which is the, the, the Chinese restaurant, he would cook a Sunday dinner. And he'd cook for like six, seven or eight. And he'd just shut the door, have a tea towel over his, his back. And if anybody walked in and disturbed him, he'd tell him to piss off out. So the, the bacon sandwiches, he used to heat, they had a beautiful aga. And he'd heat the bread beforehand, like a wholemeal bread, 
lashings of butter. The bacon was just like unbelievably crispy. But then we've all had that bacon sandwich where there's just the right amount of tomato sauce and melted butter. And he used to get it, he'd, he'd have it spot on. I've said to people before, if he wasn't a football manager, he could open the cafe. <laughs> bacon sandwich. Thanks for that question, David. Um, I'm just going to, Mark, uh, I became a Forest fan in 1975, Mark Gilson, because uh, my dad, we loved it when we would salute the train, when he would salute the transcend. I used to love that too. He brought me so much happiness as a child uh, and into an adulthood. adulthood. Was he happy, would you say? Yeah. Through the period yeah. that you knew him, would you say he's a happy individual? Because we obviously late in in his later years we saw it his health decline. But, but was he generally happy? He had a he had a couple of down spells, that's for sure. I think there was a point where he had to loan the club fifty six grand of his own money because they were close to uh, close to going bust, and he had to stave off the tax man. The other thing that used to frustrate him was in Ken Smale's office, which was later Paul White's office. There used to be like an electronic turnstile counter yeah. and he'd go in there half an hour before the game and we're playing Liverpool and there's only 14,000 in and we've just beaten Aston Villa 6-2. We've beaten Chelsea 7-1. We beat Norwich 6-2, I think, away from home or 5-2 away from home. And he's like, bloody hell, what do I have to do to fill the ground? So that used to frustrate him a little bit. But also it was the times, do you know I mean? Football crowds at the time, weren't massive anywhere. Yeah. Um, but then he had like a second spell where I just, and for me, that, that this was like the most beautiful thing, to see him in his pomp, because I didn't see the European team and I didn't know what he was like. But 87, 88, 89, when that young crop came through, Jesus Christ, he had such a spring in his step. I mean, he was bouncing into work. He'd get into work like earlier than anybody else. He'd, he'd stay longer than anybody else. Even though he wasn't always on the training ground, he just loved it because there were so many good young players coming through, you know? Gary Charles, Terry Wilson, Lee Glover, who doesn't get the credit he deserves, Lee Glover. He played in some big, big games for us, Glover. was was brilliant. Um, Chattel, you know... Glover was a, like, yeah, he had a big chest as well. He, big, he was broad here, wasn't he, Glover? Yeah. Then he kind of tapered down. I remember Lee Glover. A L- little bit like Nige in terms of he used to play with his back to goal and used to let people yeah, cut yeah, the yeah. shit out of him. He'd hold the ball up. But, you know, some of the bigger games, I mean, again, going back to that Spurs game, everybody remembers Teddy Sheridan because Teddy was brilliant for a season. I don't think brilliant, actually. I think he was all right. Um, but in that game, it was Glover who won us the game. Teddy was awful and Glover was absolutely superb and Glove gets us to Wembley. Um, you know, the West Ham semi-final, Glove plays and is absolutely brilliant at Villa Park, where we do West Ham 4-0. So there's some big games that, that Glove's turned up for. Um, but, I mean, just in general, you know. And then it went to another level when he signed Keeney. I've never seen, I've never seen anything like it in terms of the energy coming from a player given to a manager because he knew he'd found someone absolutely special. And he just, yeah. again... It, again, like, wasn't that like a 20 grand deal from Cove Ramblers or something? It was Something like, like that, yeah. Nothing. 25, 26 grand and some traction yeah. or something. Nuts. Yeah, I remember I was there for his first game, Keeney. What a, what a person. Liverpool away. He's become. Huh? No, his first home game I was at. I, was, I can't remember that, because I know Liverpool away, I remember... 
Who, it was who, quite who quick after he joined, from what played... I remember. Sorry? It was quite quick after he joined. I don't think there was yeah, this, I mean, again, um, long, you know, long period. Make, make his debut well, within like four or five weeks, then played. Uh, yeah. And again, Brian was like adamant. As soon as he saw him make his debut at Liverpool, he's like, right, he's in the side for Covenant on Saturday. Um, and I think Kinney probably played the next six or seven. Then he took him out just because it was like, you know, you get through your first few games on adrenaline. Uh, but yeah. Keane was just, oh, Jesus Christ, just incredible. I'll talk more about Keane, but uh, I've just got, I mean, I need to put this comment up here. We've got some creative people in our chat. You realise that? That's your next book. It's your next book idea, Clough's Secret Recipes. The, uh, the the coconut curry that he used to make to die for, and I know that sounds weird. Clough's Special Bacon is the first one. So you've got two. There you go. Stone the third, brilliant. He's very very creative. Um, right, stay on Keno. Um, Keno, then. I mean, what what was he like to be around? Because he seems quite outwardly ag aggressive, assertive. Was was he like that behind the scenes? I wouldn't really say aggressive. I mean, I don't think he's he's probably grown that side of it more as he's got older. You know, where he realizes. The, the type of things he can do and who he is and, and that kind of thing. But he was never quiet, but he wasn't like, you know, I, I think it probably like took 18 months. I've read stories about him going to Black Oak and being a little bit of a big head and things like that. I didn't see it. I really didn't see it. You know, he walked in, I, I think uh, he came across for a trial. He's staying at the digs at Colic Road. And, and I'm at that point, I'm on the other side of Colic Road where the two pro houses are. So I'm living with Sean Dyche, Craig Boardman, um, Mick Danzi, and Jock McLaughlin. Um, and Kenny's on the other side with the young kids. And we all used to go to Barker Snooker up on Barker Gate. And we'd gone up to, to, to play snooker. And Roy had to leave early because he had a meeting with the club. And he honestly thought they were sending him home. He didn't think he'd done enough. Um, and he played against Sutton. I think he came on for like 20 minutes against Sutton away. And we were 2-0 down. And again, I've, it's like people think it's hyperbole, but it's not. I've never seen anybody get hold of a game. At, at 18 he was, probably even 17 still. Get hold of a game by the scruff of the neck. Ran his absolute balls off. Threw challenges in everywhere. Ended up drawing 2-2. Anyway, Keeney thinks he's getting sent home. So we've all come back from Barkers. I get out of the taxi at, at the, the bottom of Colic Road and you just see Roy literally bouncing down the street, literally bouncing. Lads, 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 you're not going to believe it. They give me a three-year deal. Just absolutely, you know. So probably one of the first people to know Keeney had, 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 got, the, had got the contract. He's just sensational. An absolute warrior. Yeah. So, I mean, we're still, we're, I want to go back to sort of Brian Clough and, and you living there, but just before we do it, you know, people like, who who did you like in the changing room and who did you dislike, if you're happy to say? Who were the um, people that you really talked to? Because we really only ever see the out, outward TV, you know, we don't, we don't see much else. We don't get behind the scenes like you do. I didn't really dislike anybody. The, the, you know, the, the, I've said again in, in a few other places, the banter in the dressing room could be brutal. And I used to be on the end of it at times because, I, you know, I had glasses, I had big teeth, big hair. So there'd be the odd specky twat. The biggest issue I ever had, and I like him as a bloke, by the way, you know, I don't know him now, but I'm like, you know, I, I see 
who he is. But the biggest issue I have had with was with Nigel Jemson, who used really? to he used to sheep barmy onto the bus, and he'd say as the as the the gaffer dressed me up like a, a sheep tonight because he was bum boy, and he and fucking that was destroying, absolutely destroying because. Nigel had pulled me to one side when I first started going to games on the team bus. He pulled me to one side and said, listen, you know, there's a there's a rule when you're on the bus because the players would be at the back and I'd be at the back with them, then the management down at the front. And Nigel pulled me to one side and said, whatever happens on the back of this bus, whatever gets said, whoever says it, whoever it's about, even if it's about you, it does not get back to my old man. Mm. This is like our area... Stuff it's like interesting. that. So, stays on the yeah, literally. Interesting. So there were there were times where I would say it was bordering bordering on bullying, um, but obviously as you get older, you realise it's not bullying. It's just piss taking banter. Um, yeah. But it went a little bit too far with Gemma. Uh, right. Players who are liked and idolised. I mean, there's there's too many of them. I got on really yeah. really well with with Harry Hodge. Got on really well with Franzi Carr. Absolutely loved Steve Chattel. Steve Chattel was just, you know, such a such a great brother. <laughs> he was a Nottingham lad, wasn't he? I Steve was Chettle. just he's superb Bullwell boy. Yeah, he used Bullwell to say the, the, the ship the ship blew bricks in Bullwell. Um, <laughs> but just just a really, really nice lad. Um yeah. then obviously, you know, I've there's like a few quiet ones who you can probably imagine. Nigel was pretty quiet. Scott Gemmell was pretty quiet. Franzi himself and Harry were quiet. Uh, and then you've got the real characters. You've got the absolute real characters. And it's not going to be a surprise when you, you, you find out who they are. PSC was an absolute legend. I mean, he was just funny. He yeah. was sharp. He was funny. He was sarcastic. He was everything you you know you can imagine him being a being a leader. And it was really. He was the lady, you know, his boss. Des was a great character. Got on really well with Des. Uh, Des could knock out a, a brilliant line in. Uh, I'm never sure whether they were knockoffs or not, but he used to be the one who'd sell the watches on the back of the bus and say, he'd sell anything. I remember one time they've, they've, they've come on and Des is selling some designer tracksuits. And for again, for people of this area that might remember, Gary Charles used to pull his tracksuits so high up to be like you can almost you know you can see his dinner and uh <laughs> charlie's walked on and desi's gone hey gas what size chest are you i've got a hell of a pair of tracky bottoms he's just like jesus <laughs> christ so des was des was a great character and you know this is like a nice thing i met des a, a couple of years ago on central avenue just bumped into him i haven't seen him for like what 25 30 years and I swear to God, he moved faster than he used to do in defence just to come across. Oh, it was so game. quick. I mean, the song, You'll Never Beat Des Walker. I mean, it's used to Incredible ring player. Him, yeah. and, him, and, him and Piercy, you know, outside of Nigel, I just love. Him and yeah. Piercy were just absolute, just legends. And then the, 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 the flip side of that is Webby. Uh, when Webby got transferred to, to Man United, I've talked about this before. I'd asked him if he was leaving um, and he wouldn't tell me. Him and Piercy were both in contract negotiations at the same time. So I asked Piercy and Piercy said, listen, don't tell the gaffer, but I'm staying. I'm still in negotiations for contracts, so keep it quiet. But yeah, I'm signing. And Webby wouldn't tell me and I knew Webby was leaving. Then we've gone to, we've played Luton in the League Cup. We've come back on the team bus afterwards. Obviously, we've done Luton 3-1. Won the Cup and Webby's celebrating like a madman. 
uh, and he's turned around and he's he's gone to Tommy Gaynor, who obviously played the ball for him. Tommy, you'll do for me, son. I don't need anybody else. You'll do for me, Tommy. I'm going nowhere. And then two weeks later, he signed for Man United. And the reason I mentioned that as a difference between him and Dares and even Harry Hodge when Harry came back, Webby was only gone like two or three years. And when he came back and re-signed, I walked up to him to say hello. And he didn't even fucking recognise me. And I'd spent like, you know, a season and a half going to games with him on the bus and everything. And he's like, either he didn't recognise me or, you know, he, he didn't want to recognise me. But I just thought that's like the, the difference in... Difference he looks character. very different now. I've seen a picture of him recently, Webby. He looks very different now. Is he, um, is he, just, a, is he as drunk as he used to be? No, he looks poorly, to be honest. Um, it's one from James Cunningham here. Dino, please ask about Taylor. Peter Taylor. That's obviously the dynamic duo. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Peter Taylor? What, what was? Did you have any relationship with Taylor? And do you think, it, you know, when he died, it affected... Cluffy, that, that last I didn't have any James didn't Cunningham. have any relationship with him other than I'd read with Clough by Taylor, and that was a book that really annoyed Brian. Um, yeah. First of all, I don't think he knew he was writing it, but obviously, secondly, Taylor made a lot of money out of it and didn't mention anything to Brian. Uh, then, obviously, there's the 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 Robo signing. Um, so I didn't know Taylor, but I have to say, based on like you know the 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 feeling from Brian, I didn't like him, which is just wrong. You know, I didn't know him as a bloke. And it's only, again, when you take a step back and you start to analyse what they did together and how close they were together and stuff like that. So there's a point where um, not probably like maybe even as short as six months before he died, uh, Peter Taylor's come to the ground and he's waiting outside Brian's office. Somebody's letting me in. He's waiting outside his office. It used to be like just two seats there. Um, and Brian had this thing where... Uh, if like somebody pissed him off or if he wanted to show that he was angry with somebody, as he passed him, he kicked the feet. And he did that to, to, to Pete. And then he's walked into his office, called for Carol, Carol Parker or Washington, whatever she was at that time, um, and said to her, who's let it, that shit house in my ground? And Carol said, I don't know. And he's gone, well, look, first of all, get him out. Secondly, whoever let him in, get him fired. Uh, and Pete, I don't know why Pete came, presumably to try and, and say sorry or to try and make things up, um, but Brian didn't see him. And then obviously it, it gets to the point where the the day that Pete died, Brian's at home. Uh, I'm in the, the breakfast room, Mrs. Clough's like pottering around the, the kitchen, the phone goes, and I think it's, it's either, it might be Alan Hill or it's Ronnie Fenton, um, and just said, listen, Gaff, I've got some really, really bad news. Pete's Pete's gone. Pete's passed away. And Brian didn't just, he didn't say a word. He literally just dropped the receiver. It made a crash on the floor, dropped the receiver, walked out the back door, went for a walk for about six hours, cried his eyes out. So didn't sad. affect him. Yes. Yeah, it was sad. He, he didn't win anything for a while after that, did he? After... I think '89 was the the the, the first Simard Cup, then the then the League Cup. So yeah. that was a big thing for him at that point, you know, to to win something on his own. Um, yeah. But I think Nigel and Simon have talked about it. And it's not my place to talk about it, but I'd say if he had one regret, it would be that he didn't make up with Pete. 
Yeah, yeah, very sad. Um, I just want to thank um, Visual Joker for the um, donation there. Appreciate that. Much love to you, my friend. Let's move um, away from the, the 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 team for the minute. Let's. So you're very much a part of the furniture at the ground, at the city ground. Uh, how did you become more of the furniture in the Clough household? Well, that was, um, uh, again, I'm 15. My brother Aaron's joined the army. Um, and, uh, you know, I always thought that Aaron was his favourite. And I'm fairly sure Aaron was his favourite because Aaron just had like a, a beaming smile, always positive. Um, Brian loved his garden and Aaron had this thing where he could do a, a circle around his trees absolutely perfectly. And I mean, literally perfectly. Whereas I'd have the yeah. lawnmower out, I'd be doing it like a hexagon. He'd come out like, look, you're just, you're ruining it. You're like, you're killing my trees. Give it back to you, brother. He'll do it better. Um, yeah. So Aaron had joined the army and I wasn't sure again what would happen to, to me and my relationship. But as it turns out, I went down for the six weeks holidays um, through the, the summer. I was meant to be staying a week and it got extended to two, three, four. I'd been there five weeks into the start of the season. Um, yeah. And we've gone away. We're playing Everton away at Goodison. I think it's uh, Harry Hodges' second game back. Uh, and this is a brilliant thing. I'll just throw this out there. When uh, he's doing the team talk at Everton, he's turned around to Harry Hodge and said, I'll tell you what, Harry, son, I'll get you back in the England squad before you know it. And at the end of the game, the whatever has happened, Ronnie Fenton's come in, poked his head around the door and said, Gaffer, Hodge has been called up. Hodge got called up within like a, a game of coming back and Brian had said to him, get him back in the England squad. So we, we played Everton off the park. We drew 1-1. I think Kevin Sheedy got their goal. Webby got ours. Hmm. Um, and they were going up to Scotland to play in a testimonial game for Hearts. I'm not sure who it was, but I think it might have been John Culhoun. Um, and part of the, the testimonial was staying at St Andrews Golf Course in the, the beautiful hotel at St Andrews. Um, anyway, Brian had said to me, on our way up to Scotland, we'll drop you off. You know, you get yourself a get yourself away home. It's been brilliant. So I'm like really sad and really upset, but I can't complain too much because I've been there five weeks. Um, and again, like after about an hour driving up the motorway, um, Hilly has popped his head around the curtain and said the gaffer wants a word. Uh, and so I walked back down the front and Brian said, have you ever been up to Scotland? And I'm like, no, you know, of course I haven't. The only place I've ever been are the places you've taken me. And he's like, right, I'll tell you what, why don't you you come up to Scotland, have three days with the lads, uh, get some sun on your back, play some golf, and then we'll drop you off on the way back down. So I've ended up having um, having three days at St Andrews Golf Course, got to carry on the championship golf course, stay in a beautiful hotel. I think part of the, the reason it's a testimonial, but it's also like a bonding I think we'd signed Lawsy, Parks, maybe even Jemson. Um, and it was like to integrate them into the squad, which was just brilliant. Yeah. Because that, that's like the best way to do it. Um, I carried for Brian Rice and I didn't mention him in the list of characters when uh, I talked about the characters. Brian Rice is single-handedly the most funny man I've ever met in my life really? in any situation. Why? What makes him funny? Oh, man, he was just like... Oh, sometimes deadpan. Was he the Joker? Was he like the? Yeah, but not, like, not a prankster. Like a 
the, the, there wasn't really a prankster in amongst them, you know. I, I never really saw a prankster, but he was just he was just deadpan. I mean, there's a there's a funny thing that's funny for me, but maybe others won't see it. But the first time we went down, me and Aaron are training with a with a team, and I think Archie's told us to piss off because we're annoying them. So we've ended up playing. If you remember the old training ground just along the Trent end, there used to be like one pitch and then a, a, another pitch further off. So we ended up playing full length, one-on-one, me and Aaron, taking each other on. Uh, and Rice has come up, he's like, what the hell are you doing? And we're saying we're playing one-on-one. And he's like, all right. He's like, one of you might want to take your top off so you don't get confused playing skins. I'm just like sitting there and Aaron's gone like that with his, I'm like, for fuck's sakes. Ricey just like, he was just, just, you know, yeah. he just, just funny bloke. I mean, really funny. He could, he could pull you apart. Where is Anyways, your brother now? Where is dead. your brother now? Oh. He's dead. How did he die? Uh, he talk about it or? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about racism, um, but he, he came out of the army. I don't think it was brilliant from in the army. I think he had a core group of mates, but he, he took a bit of stick in the army as well. Came out of the army, he went to work for British Rail as a station guard. Uh, and one night, this this just drunk walking along the platform and started abusing our air and calling him a, a black this and a black that and an end this and then that. Uh, so Aaron's knocked him out and got... Uh, disciplined got sacked and that just sent him on a downward spiral so he started drinking went and lived in a one one bedroom bed seat uh and one night he's on medication he tried to stop drinking he's on medication i think the doctors told him if he has another drink you know it's it's gonna it's gonna end him um and he's took his medication then he's had a couple of beers and apparently forgot he took his medication took it again and died in his sleep oh so sad i'm really sorry Guys, get some love in the chat, please. Sad, really sad. I'm sorry about that. You were very close. Um, let's let's move to just a bit, a bit about what's the longest time you spent in the Clough household? I mean, how long were you there for? Because you seem to be sort of a few weeks before there, few or weeks before there. or after I moved down. Either. What, what's what's so the... before it before it was five weeks. That was the yeah. the, the six weeks holiday. Um, but then obviously when I've moved in there, I mean, the, the, so when we've come back down from Scotland, basically I, Brian's dropped me off at Scotch Corner. Uh, and I just, I couldn't face it. I mean, I just couldn't face going back. You know, it was the same shit. It was the same abuse. Our electricity was cut off. Um, my dad had been arrested for headbutting his supervisor uh, and shoplifting. And I, I just... I couldn't face going back. So, like, they, they got to a service station about probably an hour and a half from Scotch Corner, and the lads have got off just to have a wee and maybe buy a buy a kind of pop or whatever. So, I, and I've run away. I'm like, right, that's it. You know, I'm not going back to Sunderland. I've just I've run away. Um, and obviously, they're looking for me. Couldn't find me for like 20 minutes. Gary Parker's eventually found me around the back at the at the toilets and he's like look what are you doing and i'm saying parks i just can't go home i'd rather run away and parks is like listen son you know you need to tell the gaffer what's going on you can't just run away that's not going to work so you need to you need to man up and, and, and go and tell the gaffer 
So I got up back on the bus and Brian obviously asked me what had happened and I started explaining some of the stuff, not not all of it, but just started explaining some of the stuff that was happening, some of the stuff that I'd been through. You didn't know like, before that? You didn't never told him anything before that? No, no. I mean, he knew we weren't normal, you know, he knew yeah. we were poor, um, but he, he had no idea of, of what we were going through as kids. Um, and he just said, look, I'm not having that. That that's like it's not acceptable. I don't know what we're going to do with you, um, but you're not getting off this bus today. You can come back down with us, stay for another few days while we work out what to do, um, and obviously take me back to to Quandon. This is something I've never talked about. Um, by the time I got back to Quandon, because I, I like I fell asleep, I was crying. I fell asleep. By the time I got back to Quandon, I'd almost forgotten about that conversation. Like I'd, I'd forgotten that I'd told him and it was just like, boom, just like normal. And again, it was only when I started writing the book that I that I remembered how it happened because to everybody who asks me and stuff like that, I'm like, ah, oh, Brian invited me down to live with him. He invited me down to either play football or blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, you know, he did it because of, of, of what was going on. So we got back to Quand and the next morning he sent me out pretty early to take the dog for a walk. Uh, because him, Simon and Nigel are having a meeting to decide what to do with me. And I've got like, you know, 50 yards down the drive. I didn't even get out of the gate. And he's just shouted me back. He's gone, Rigger, come back. So no need to take the dog for a walk. We've decided you're moving down with us. Wow. And that was the, that was the start of that. Wow. See, nobody knows this side of Brian Clough. It's just amazing to hear. Uh, not not just the whole him. whole family, but, you know. Yeah. You know, for, for them... I mean, they'd already accepted us into the into the house anyway, you know. We never, ever felt that we weren't accepted. But for them to to allow me to, to actually go and be part of the part of the life, you know. Nigel's what? Nigel is 20, he's still just about living at home. Elizabeth's 19. Um, Simon's like 22, 23, something like that, you know, more established. But Mrs. Clough as well, you know, who's already raised kids, as now accepting a, a, a scruffy little teenager to come into a house and have to do all that work again. It just it was just beautiful. You don't realise at the time how beautiful, you know. But when you when you take a step back and you're a little bit older and you you appreciate it. Just an just an incredible gesture. He had a nickname for you, didn't he? Brian Clough. He did, he had two. Um, the, the first one well, was, shit house has got to be one hasn't it no nah, he, he never <laughs> called me that actually for, like a couple of times he called me Sutherland he called me like you know Big Ed or stuff like that but he used to call me Ronnie Rinaldi um, right. after the, the whistling singer because whenever we walked around the cricket ground if I was nervous I would whistle and he'd like he's like bloody hell you're not Ronnie Rinaldi stop whistling start singing and then I'd sing like oh Jesus Christ whistle like your voice is tired, but the, the, the one that really, really stuck was Rigor Mortis. He used to call me Rigor. Um, and that was because when, uh, again, the second or third time we were there, um, I'm in the posh lounge. Aaron's out doing the garden or whatever he's doing, like sucking up. I'm watching Abbott and Costello and eating chocolate, but I'm on Brian's favourite chair, which is a recliner. And I've got my feet up, I've got the remote and blah, 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 blah. And Brian walks in, he's like, what are you doing? You know, your boy's outside doing the gardening and sweeping the leaves. You, you lazy little bugger, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching the telly. 
And he's like, son, Jesus Christ. He said, am I going to have to get a crown to come and get you out of that chair? So you were like, moved. you were obviously like this on his seat. Yeah. And he said, he said, it looks like you got rigor mortis. It's like <laughs> rigor mortis has said, you're that bloody stiff. Um, so he used to call me rigor mortis because I was lazy. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, you're obviously close to the kids as well, and, and particularly Simon, I believe. Um, you ended up working in Simon's business, didn't you? Yes. Can you talk about that? Are you, are you comfortable talking about that whole? I mean, I have to because it's in the book. Um, okay. So I wouldn't say I was closer to Simon than Nigel for a long, long time until I started really going to work because, like I say, Nigel lived at home. The closeness with Simon was because I played football for his team, AC Hunters, um, but also typically I'd see him every day after after work for a couple of hours at the news agents. But then when I started going to work at the news agents, me and him used to go to games together. Mrs. Clough would make us a packed lunch and then we'd set off driving wherever we were going to go. Um, and obviously I've started working for Simon, absolutely just brilliant. You know, I'm still living at Corndon. Um, I have like a three-month spell where I'm in digs uh, because Brian was trying to get me to be a little bit more independent. Um, then after three months, I moved back. Then I had another three months where I was living with a, um, what would you call it, just a landlady. So I was like a lodger. Um, but while I was there, I was still spending like four or five days a week at Quandon. And Brian's like, it's pretty nuts. You know, I'm paying this rent for you and yet you're still here. So you might as well move back. Um, so Simon would come and get me from Mickleover every day, take me to take me to the shop. I'd probably a year of that uh, with just no issues at all, you know. Um, and, and I don't want this to sound like a, a cop out because I accept full responsibility for it. I have to, you know. I'm not like trying to to, to put blame elsewhere. Um, but I eventually I invited my mates to come down and live with me. Um, they, they were coming down really regularly anyway, you know, going to games. Uh, the, the same kind of thing. I mean, Brian trapped my mates like he trapped me. So, again, three lads from Southwood who've never been anywhere suddenly, you know, going to games and getting tickets and getting tracksuits and things like that off me. Every time they came down to stay, they'd go back to someone with a new wardrobe because I had so much sports gear. I just So they were living the life of Riley. And I invite them down to live with me and only one of them said yes. Um, so we, we ended up getting a, a flat together on um, on Trent Boulevard um, in Lady Bay. Uh, and he, I got him a job as a carpet fitter on Central Avenue. There used to be a, a place called, I think it was Central Carpets, probably or Avenue Carpets. And I got him a job as a carpet fitter. And he'd been there a few months. And Simon said to me, listen, you know, if, if he's coming down to live here, and he's working here, why didn't you get him to come and work for me? And I'm like, Simon, I didn't think you liked him. And he's like, well, it doesn't matter whether I like him or not. He's your mate. So if he wants to come and work, he can. So he ended up coming to, to work in Central News. And um, I've also got to say, Dino, because I haven't talked about this, that time was absolutely incredible, brilliant. We did some brilliant things. We were, on the whole, we were nice kids. You know, we played a lot of sport. We played a lot of football. It was like a hilarious time and it was brilliant for me because I was doing it with my mates, my close mates. Um, but eventually what happened was we, we um, I was going back down to London. My mum had moved to Harrow 
and I'd promised my mum that I would take uh, chocolates for Christmas. So we used to like, you know, 20 Mars bars, 20 Twixes, 20, put them all in a big crisp box. And we do that for the, for the forest team, um, for first team and uh, reserve fixtures. So I put together a box for my mum for Christmas and I'm driving along um, p- past the nuclear power station, Radcliffe on Saw, just before you get on the M1. I'm like, shit, I forgot the box. What do I do? You know, I promised my mum I'll take it, but I'm already on my way. So I decided I'd turn back round. I turned back round. By the way, this is in a car, a Ford 1.4 LX that Brian gave me. Oh, really? I'm 18 and just gave me a brand new F-Ridge Ford Fiesta. It was Elizabeth's car. She'd driven it for a year. And then she got herself a BMW and Brian was like, you might as well have it. You know, you've passed your test now, blah, blah, blah. It'll help you get between Nottingham and Derby instead of our Simon coming to pick up. So I've turned back round, gone in Trent Boulevard, and it was like a, a tiny little, you know, poxy little place. One bedroom flat, tiny little front room, tiny kitchen. And because it was so small, I've got a bed, and Kev's got a mattress on the floor, like alongside it. And to get to the toilet, you've got to step over the mattress. So I've stepped over the, the stepped on the mattress rather than stepped over it, and I just felt something crunch under my feet. And I lifted the mattress up, and there's 15 bags of 21 pound coins under the mattress. I'm like, fucking hell, you know what? So I waited for him to come back, and I'm like, Kev, like, what what's going on? He's like, oh, yeah, I've been taking it in, in bits from the shop over the last couple of weeks. I was going to share it with you. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to share it with me? I'm all, I've already left. I'm like, I'm down in London as far as you're concerned. You're going to share it? No, honest, honest, I was going to share it. And instead of doing the right thing, which would have been to tell him to piss off and to ring the, the, the at least, you know, ring Simon, I took half mm. of it. And that led wow. to us over, over a period of the next 12 months of, of fairly regularly. Um, and the only reason I'm not crying about it is is because I've talked about it so much. Um but it still breaks my heart. Over a period of 12 months, we stole regularly from the shop after everything they'd done for us. What triggered that? Was it just a moment of pure <sighs> madness or just... Was, was, I mean, we all, couple, we, all, we, all, listen, we all make mistakes and mistakes that we can't a, actually ever rectify, but, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, if you, you know, on the, on the scale of mistakes, that's not a mistake. That's just a horror. Um, yeah. there, there was, like, there was a couple of things... First of all, I felt like because I was moving away from them and I wasn't going to games with Simon as much, I was going with my mates and I wasn't going up to Quan as regularly as I, as I was. Everybody had always told me there'd come a point where he, he, he'd get rid of me. There's no way he can, he can like, he, he doesn't love you. There's no way he can, he can do that. Eventually he'll see through you and he'll, he'll bomb you out. Um, and then the other thing that happened was me and Simon had a, a, a falling out for like a week, literally just a week, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a massive thing. Brian had, had gone home and um, I'm at, at, in Quandon and Brian's come in and he's like, he's just talking about Simon and I'm not really registering what he's saying, but, but I'm just like, Brian, you know what Simon's like, just almost just to get him to shut up. So then Simon comes in the, the next day and him and his dad have a, an argument again. Um, and Brian turns around and he says, even Rigger doesn't like you. 
he told me yesterday. And I'm like, oh, fucking hell, you know, that's not what I said at all. And Simon's like, hang on, what do you mean? Like, why would you say that? You know, I treat you like a brother. I love you like a brother. And I tried to explain him that I hadn't said it, but me and Simon fell out for a week to the extent that he didn't come back and, and pick me up for work. You know, I had a week off work. And I just, in my own head, I just started thinking, like, everybody's telling me they're taking the piss out of me because I'm doing so many hours for so little money. Everybody's, like, telling me this, that, and the other. And, and that, that's, like, the only thing that I can think is that I was convincing myself that, like, you know, they were letting me down, like they were treating me badly because I was on two pound and five pence per hour and I was doing like 40 hours and, you know, I was opening the shop and blah, 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 blah. And I just, I started getting angry with them. I started getting angry with them, listening to other people telling me, you know, it's like, if I, if I sit down and think about it now, it's like, what have they ever done for you? Fucking hell, mm. you know? absolutely everything and to do that um and again it's like it's still i'm 50 now do you know so I, was, I was 50 last week there isn't honestly more than two days go by where i'm not heartbroken and not sitting down thinking first of all how could you do it but secondly like what kind of person are you um because i think i've developed into a nice character but then there's always that thing at the back of my mind Whereas, who am I really? Am I the, the, the person that I think I am? Or am I that scruffy little, scared little, shitty little person from Southwick who did what he did? Uh, and I've never, ever been able to, to, and I won't. You know, people have told me, the family have told me to forgive myself. It's not even that so I How won't. did they find um, out? How, how, what happened? Well, that obviously, you know, it got to the stage where it, it just, it must have just been too much. I would imagine it's like end of year accounts or something like that, where they've looked yeah. at the profits um, and they've, they've, they've tweaked what's going on. Um, Simon and Nigel came to me a, 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 like a couple of weeks before and said, look, there's something going on. Uh, we're not exactly sure what it is, but what we want you to do is uh, take a week off work, think about like things, think about where your loyalties lie and where your bread's buttered. Um, and we'll pay you for that week off, but we wanted to take a week off. And I got really angry with him. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's nothing going on. Instead of like just, you know, fronting up and saying. So eventually what happened was Simon came to us probably like November, December time. This is a few months after Brian's retired. Um, came to us November, December time and said, listen, lads, I'm really sorry, but uh, there's no more work for you because I'm selling the shop. Didn't, say anything about the thieving didn't say anything about that um gave us 800 quid each to move out because he, but he knew that you he, he knew that you and your mate had taken the money yeah yeah he knew and that was his i mean that's of, a class way to deal with it isn't it From yeah their point of view it, it is because um i remember like the the year lady you know i've gone up i've moved back up to Sunderland. i mean i was just so ashamed about what i'd done and how i acted that i couldn't face anything in nottingham so I moved back up to Sunderland and Brian came up to do a book signing at Roker Park um, and I went to see him. And again, at this point, you know, I know that they know, but they haven't confirmed that they know. Yeah. And I've just, I've gone up to see Brian, Ronnie Fenton's with him. He's took me into the office, give me a big hug. Now then, really, how are you, son? 
I was working in an Indian restaurant for 15 quid a night, cash in hand, plus a, um, plus a male. I told him what I was doing. And he's like, listen, son, you know, we know what you did. Uh, we know that you stole from us. He said we were, we had a meeting about it. We discussed it. We were very, very close to calling the police. And the only reason we didn't call the police is because we took you down to Nottingham to give you a, a, a chance of life and to give you a better life. And if we'd have called the police at that point, that would have been your life over. So we decided to cut you loose. And he's like, what I want you to do now is get yourself sorted out, get your head in the right place, get out of this shithole, come back down to Nottingham, and when you're ready, come and say hello again. And I never did. Guys and girls, get your love in the chat for Craig, please. I mean, it's, it's hard enough life to start with, and then just that amazing roller coaster journey with such a kind of really sad ending through just a silly mistake really that we all make every day we all of us make mistakes like that i mean it was it was you know it's easy to make and it's just so bad i'm just going to pull a question up here um from simon f he's put it in the chat earlier but i think it's probably the right time to talk about it did you ever reconcile with any of the club family yeah um so i, I should have done it before brian died um i used to go to uh and, and i'm still like that now I don't follow a team anymore. I follow Nigel. So wherever he manages or even when he was playing, apart from Liverpool, because I couldn't bring myself to go there. Um, every time he's, he's played for a team, a manager team, I've, I've gone and watched them. So I was watching Burton Albion um, regularly and travelling back. I moved across to Poland. Um, and this is like something that, again, I, I have to get out of the way. Uh, the life that they gave me while I was there was incredible, absolutely incredible, yeah, but also the fact that they didn't do what they should have done, which is call the police, was incredible. But the life that I've had since then, Dino, because of them, you know, the confidence they gave me. Brian always used to say to me, you can do anything you want, you can be anything you want, you're brilliant, you can talk for England, you're sensational, like this, that and the other. And I eventually straightened myself out. Um, so I moved to Poland um, went to work as a managing director of a, of a um, major executive search company out there. Then I had my own business, which was really successful. Um, so I, I travelled back from Poland to watch Burton games. And the weekend before he died, I'd been I'd been back, or maybe two weeks before he died, I'd been back to the Pirelli, and I was going to go and say hello. Um, and it was like. You know, I've tried to explain this before. The, ground, the crowds at the Pirelli at that, uh, at that point were... Um, at Eaton Park, it would have been, were like 17, 1800. So it was harder for me not to see him than it was for me to see him, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I actually just used to have to go in, duck in and, and duck out. And I just bottled it right at the last minute. I'm like, look, what can I possibly say after all this time? You know, it's not going to work. So I ended up going back to, to Warsaw without seeing him. And then I think it's on the, I don't remember the day, but I think it's probably on the Monday or the Tuesday, I get a phone call from Kev just saying to me, listen, are you sitting down? And as soon as he said that, I knew. And I didn't need to listen to anything else. And I just, I'm in my office. I'm meant to be like, you know, professional and a leader. And I just broke down and, and cried. Uh, got on the next plane back to Nottingham. Um, went and sat in Central Avenue. 
went to talk to Simon for five minutes, but obviously Simon wasn't in the greatest shape. Sat on the, the bench outside Central Avenue for three and a half hours and then didn't didn't even go to his funeral because I didn't want to be like, you know, controversial. Uh, so after that, I went back home and I realised what a coward I'd been. Um, and I made a decision there and then that irrespective of what was going to be said to me or what the reaction was going to be, I was going to go and say hello and, and sorry, but also to say thank you to the family. So I went back, I sponsored one of the Burton games. They were playing Bursco in the FA Cup. I sponsored the game. Mrs. Clough was in the corporate area and I just I walked up to, to her and said, Mrs. Clough, you know, first of all, hi, can I have a word? And she said, of course you can, son. And I just said, look, you know, first of all, I think, like, you know how sorry I am. And she said, I do. Um, and then I said, but also, you know, the, the most important thing for me to say is, is thank you because without, like, everything that you did for me, I wouldn't have had any life. Um, and I'd sent her a couple of articles. I'd actually sent the family a couple of articles. We're doing really well in, in business. Um, where I'd been in like the Polish paper on, on Polish television and I sent them the articles because I wanted to know I was doing okay and it was down to them. And she said, look, you know, we've read the articles. Um, we are proud of you. Brian would be proud of you. Uh, we wanted to give you a better life and, you know, you've, you've, you've gone on to, to do that. And then she said, but you know us, son. You know us as a family. You let us down. And once you let us down, you're out. So that was Mrs. Clough. And then regularly I'd, I'd go back and see Simon. I had a, a beautiful two and a half hour conversation with Simon where typically we'd only have like five minutes because I'd be so nervous, I'd say something stupid. And I just went into the news agents in Bridgeford and I said, Simon, look, you know, I don't care how this goes. You might even punch me in the face and, and I wouldn't blame you. Um, but I'm not going until we've had a chat. And I just, we stood there for two and a half hours and, you know, talked about everything, talked about his dad, talked about Nigel, talked about football, talked about us. Uh, and at the end of it, Simon said, you know, Craig, I, I, I was never sure I'd say this again, but it, it's been really, really good to talk to you and good to see you. Mm -hmm. Which is just beautiful of him. Still hurts today, right? It's never not going to. It's never not going to. Well, you've got, I mean, if you, you get to read the messages back, you'll um, you'll understand that people are supportive. Like I've said, <clears throat> we all make mistakes. Some have bigger consequences than other, but they're all mistakes. We're only human. And, um, you know, try, try and try and get through it. Try and get, there's nothing you can do to bring it back. You've done all the right things. I think the family were incredible with you. Um, Guys, the, 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 you know, the thing that they taught me is, is it stood me in good stead. And I mean, when yeah. I say, you know, I want to be, I want to be nice and I want to be decent. That was also part of the reason the book took so long. Um, but it was also the biggest reason why the book was written for charity and not for personal gain, because I didn't think it was right for me to gain from that kind of story. And what I wanted to do was for some good to come out of a really shitty situation and to be able to, you know, maybe somehow help a kid who's in a difficult situation like I was in have a good experience or have a positive experience. So it's 
you know, that's the thing. I learned how to be a good person. I learned everything they taught me, but I just didn't learn it quickly enough. But since then, I don't, it's been- if, I don't know if you picked that up, chat, but um, you know, the proceeds went to charity. The first part of the proceeds went to charity, didn't they? Uh, the book's called "Be Good, Love Brian." It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're going to drop a. Um, oh my, just dropped a few links in there to Amazon. Go buy it. You know, it's a ridiculously good read. And like I said, I hate reading books with a passion. This, as you can tell from, the, I mean, this is just a fraction of what's in here that we've gone through today. <laughs> um, I'm going to take. I'm going to end on a. More positive and funny now, if that's okay, because I'm feeling a bit, um, and I think some of the chat are crying as well by the look of it. Uh, Tell me about Roy Keane. He's got a bit of a strange, strange (laughs) habit, should we call it, or strange joy of playing football? So uh, we're um, we're away to Man City. Main road it is then, um, and I, I can't remember, even remember the result. I think, I think they did us. I think we got done badly that day. I um, mean, it's just a weird day, you know. Piercy's playing play, playing left back. Somebody's rolled a ball out to him, and he's gone to control it, but it's rolled under his foot and gone out for a throw in. And Piercy's absolutely launched into the linesman, blaming the linesman for making him lose his concentration. So it's weird when we get back on the bus because Piercy's still trying to blame the linesman and the lads are like, fucking hell, Skippy. And I'll just admit it, it was shit. It was a shit touch. It was your fault. Stop blaming the linesman. So the mood's not fantastic. We're playing cards. Um, And sometimes I'd get like in the top hearts table, which typically was like Piercy, Des, you know, Webby when he was there and one other. Um, but then the second hearts table was Nige, Lawsey, Gary Crosby, and typically Gary Parker. But if one of them wasn't there, I'd get in the, the, the second table. Roy's a couple of seats behind. He's just poked his head through the through the corner. He's like, lads, he said, I've got a I've got to ask like a, a question. And the, the lads are like, All right, go on, Roy. And he said, Look, he said, Sam's daft, but he said, when you're playing, when you're running, he said, Do you ever like just a, a semi on when you when you're playing, and the lads are like, "What the fuck, Roy? Like, God, fucking hell, Roy? Of course not." And Kenny's like, "I can't explain it." He said, "I was running the day." He said, "We hadn't scored. All we've done is got a corner." He said, "I looked down and I've got a massive lob on." <laughs> and the players are like, "Fucking hell, Roy, man! What the fuck are you talking about? Like, blah 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 blah. Absolutely slating him, slaughtering him." And I'm trying to, like, you know, I'm one of these who sticks up for the underdog. So it's settled down. It's died down. And I've I've gone to Roy. I said, Roy, look, mate, you know, don't worry about it. I said, sometimes, I said, I, I get, like, a, a semi on all the time. I said, I sometimes get one when I'm just sitting on the bus. And Kenny's turned around. He's going, what the fucking hell are you telling me that for? He said, you've got one now, haven't you? He said, you're sitting there with hard on now, aren't you? Hey, lads, this. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, Roy, thanks very much for that. I'm trying to stick up for you and you end up slating me. So yeah, Roy got a got a, a semi on for winning the corner at Manchester City. I wonder if he gets one when he does TV now. <laughs> Can you imagine? It, it's like it's it's difficult to say, like, you know, it, it's because obviously it's yeah, it's a cliche to say he's passionate. Yeah. But I mean, I, I swear to God, I've never seen a player 
who had that much desire and will to win, even at that age, even at like 19 years old, yeah. it just like, you know, the second he stepped onto a pitch, he just, he didn't want to lose anything. He was un unbelievable. But to get a, you know, to get a start on when you're playing during the game is a little bit weird. And the the other thing is, is the lads, the, the lads are like, Roy, you say you had a massive lob on. No one even noticed. So obviously Roy's like bragging about having a, a bulge in his shorts and the lads are like... Boris Dunn also Roy, used to no, get one by no watching Roy. <laughs> right, I do want to wrap it up because we've we've um, spent quite a lot of time with you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, guys, what an amazing guest. Can we just take a few questions, if that's okay, Craig, from yeah, the chat? Sure. Because I've been patient. <clears throat> do you want to drop some questions in, oh my? Okay, so Kevin Cannon... What would Cluffy think of the invasion of all these foreign players into the Forest squad and the outrageous weekly wages? Thank you, Kevin. I think he'd struggle with it, Kevin. Um, you know, I don't know what, what area you're from, pal, but, you know, if you, you think about, like, late 80s, early 90s, for us, it was, if we've got a Scandinavian, you know, Toddy or Toddy Orlickson or Chedid Oswald, I think the most, like, um, exotic player we ever signed was Robert Rosario. Yeah. I can't everybody thought, him. everybody thought he was Italian. Um, yeah. but then the other side of this is look, you know, like the, the 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 squad today, I don't watch them as much as I used to, but I'll always love Forrest, so I keep an eye on them. Who yeah. would have thought you'd have been signing, signing players like Danilo and Scarpa and three oh, I know. I know. I know. So I mean, we, we, have, we do have short memories a little bit because last, you know. It's phenomenal. The transformation yeah, is phenomenal. And the excitement that comes with that, it's like that. You know, we all get a little bit excited when we sign a foreign superstar still. Yeah. But I mean, they're signing some real quality. So I think Brian would, he would struggle with it. But then there's also like other people who've said he would be a dinosaur in today's game. Of course, he wouldn't because he's a genius. He would adapt. Mm -hmm. He would adapt to it. He'd hate the wages um, unless he was getting it. He hated agents as well, didn't he? Yeah, hated agents. Yeah, but that that I don't think that's changed. I think agents are still the same today. You know, you, you get yeah. you get the odd decent one, and I know a, f a few actually. Uh, yeah. There are a few very very decent agents, but the majority of them are not always in it, even for the player. You know, it's about what they can get out of it, and their interests sometimes beat the interests of a player. So there are certain things that he'd struggle with, and one of them would be the the amount of, of foreign players, purely because. You know, for ten or fifteen years, he built the squad, and and we had a squad at Forest where, like I say, the only you know they're from Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Hull, Ireland, Scotland, Liverpool, London was like you know if we ever got a a Cockney other than Percy, I remember when Teddy came, everybody thought it's like Jesus Christ, we've signed a snobby, snobby Cockney. <laughs> Martin Holmes asks, uh, do you notice any similarities between Mister Clough and Steve Cooper? Great question, Martin. Um, no, but I think Cooper gets Forrest more than any other manager I've ever seen before. And I'd, I'd even put Billy Davis in that. I didn't particularly like Billy Davis just because of his personality, but his achievements were brilliant. Um, but I, I think what he's been able to do is, you know, I've, I've watched some of the games where the city ground, again, when I'm there, you know, for us, like late January, early February, Quarterfinals of cups, semi-finals of cups, every every other every other season. Um, I think it was a big thing for Stevie Cooper to get to the quarterfinal last season and for him to get to the semi-final this. 
but I've seen the city ground rocking more than I've ever seen the city ground rock. And I'd even go back to those, you know, League Cup and, and Simod Cup semi-finals at the city mm-hmm. ground. I think the atmosphere there is brilliant. Simod Cup, my God. Zenith Data. Some of my happiest memories are, more, are in those three yeah. clubs. Yeah. Uh, Forest Ant, our very own FFTV Forest Ant. Did any of the players dare to beat Cluffy at squash? Oh, yeah, he did like his squash, didn't he? Not a chance. Uh, he, he he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing as much. His knees were. I think he was like fifty odd when when I met him. So he had the occasional, but his knees were usually flaring up. But I think the best at it was Bertels, uh, and Bertels like just you know I've 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 gone well with Gaz while he was there, but I've I've seen a few times where he said if it ever even got tight, he just like you know you learn how to lose tactically, don't you? Nah, none of them would ever do it. Uh, we'll take one more. I think we've got to wrap it up. So, uh, Stan the Third, I'm generally interested now. How old was Keane when he asked about the hard-ons? So, first of all, Stone the Third. I don't know if it's got anything to do with Stevie, but what a player he was. And also, what a great lad. Uh, yeah. Brian loved him a bit. Um, he had a song, didn't he? Stevie Stone, Stevie, he's got nowhere, but we don't care. Stevie, Stevie Stone. Uh, he was just he was sensational, but he broke his leg three times before he was 20. Yeah. You know, and I have the courage to keep coming back. Stoney was immense, and he was one of my favourite lads as well. Being from up north, he's a Newcastle lad, so he used to take the piss out of me for being from Sunderland, but he'd always look after me. Uh, and Keeney was 19. 19, okay, fantastic. You could understand right, if you're like, you know, 16, 17, because we've all been there. But yeah. at 19, it was a bit strange. Well... Thank you, um, Craig. That was just an immense story. Very emotional, I think, for for everybody listening. Even the even the people that even the people of a certain age that can't remember sort of those the eras that we had. Sorry for any of the members that we didn't get the questions up. There's obviously quite a lot to get through there. Again, please purchase the book. And if you if you're looking at this through um, afterwards, so this is available to you now live. This this um, conversation we're having tomorrow. It'll be up on the channel. For, for the rest of the subscribers and anybody else that wants to watch. And then the, the link to the book will be in the description below tomorrow. Dino, so, yeah, just, thank you. just quickly, yeah, sure. if I can, I'm yeah. on I'm on Twitter as Craig Brown. Yeah, I was going to talk about your socials, yeah. So if someone's got a question that they wanted to ask that didn't get answered, drop it me on Twitter and I promise I'll answer it. Right, what's your, what's your Twitter? Craig Bromf, B-R-O-M-F. Craig Bromf. Can you get that up in the um, chat? Oh, my, please pin that for me. Even if it's a tough question, by the way, because I think, you know, it's been really like lovely of everybody to be sympathetic and stuff like that. There must be one or two people who are pissed off and, and thinking, Jesus Christ, I, I don't shirk it, you know. I've, I've come, come to terms with like how bad it was and what I did. Um, but if anybody wants to like, you know, have a go at me or criticise me, I fully understand that. Sure, they won't. There's the link that's just gone to the chat there. Please um, follow Craig. He, he's a, an amazing individual, some great stories. Like I said, the book he's not covered a fraction of the book, so um, there's plenty more to go there, so please get that. And thank you for watching. Remember to subscribe and like the video. He's been at this, this guy's opened his heart up, so please like the video and follow the channel and um Love you all, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Craig. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries.